This is the We Fish with Phoenix Boats podcast, built by anglers for anglers. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of We Fish with Phoenix Boats podcast. I'm your host, Tim Trockenbrot. With me, as always, is my co-host, Brian Travis. And today, we are super excited to have with us a man who needs no introduction, Greg Hack Attack Hackney, um, Major League Fishing's World Champion, Bassmaster Elite Series Angler of the Year, FLW Series Angler of the Year, six bass wins, Forcewood Cup champ, the list goes on and on. Um, but we are super excited to have him spend some time with us today and uh, see what he's been up to. Yeah, I'm pretty sure when you look at his accolades, it'd be a lot quicker to talk about what he may not want because it's a he's covered the gauntlet. He's done a lot. He's oh. uh, one of only four people to ever win an AOY in both the FLW and Bass. Um, I really would like to see him be the third one to yeah. uh, to do it on the BPT. It would be cool. Came in second in Red Crest. I mean, coming off a, a hot start uh, or a hot, hot finish of last year. So, yeah. It'll be pretty interesting to see what he's doing this spring. You know, these guys are never home this time of year. So um, interesting to see how that's changed their lives and, and what they get into when they are sitting at home during the spring. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm always curious. Like, I wonder who cuts all their grass while they're out fishing all the time. I have no idea. <laughs> I would love to get their number, though. Yeah, I would I'm too. tired of cutting it. Um, oh, he also had an ESPY nomination. Yeah. That's kind of cool. That's that's really cool. Uh, that was, what, back in 05 or 06. But that was, uh, man, bass fishing. It's come a long way. Well, and another cool thing, too, I was looking, you know, obviously, um, 76% of the time he hits the water, he's in the money. Unreal. I mean, think about that. I mean, over three-fourths of the time you put your boat in the water. You're getting something. You're getting something. That's awesome. I mean, geez. I I'm, I know every time I fish against somebody, I'm giving them something. So I don't even think I have a 25% no. check cashing ratio. No. You mean neither one. <laughs> Ours together. It, <laughs> We might, right we, yeah, might we, we, we might get close. We might get close. We might be close. We might be 22. Yeah. But no, let's uh let's see if we can't dial up Mr. Hackney, get him on the line. Y'all uh, stay tuned with us. We'll be right back with Greg Hackney. At Phoenix Boats, our passion for fishing is obvious. Whether it's a pro event or fishing with our family and friends, we truly love the sport of fishing. That's why our goal is to make every single Phoenix boat that goes out the door the best fishing platform it can be in both design and construction. We love to fish as much as anyone, and we believe it shows in every boat we build. Phoenix Boats, built by anglers for anglers. Welcome back, everybody. With us today is Greg, the Hack Attack Hackney, uh, calling in from uh, Ian Gonzalez today. Yeah, I mean, I'm quarantined to the backyard today. <laughs> the backyard doing chores, or what are you doing? Uh, well, yeah, I have a little bit. I fished yesterday, so uh, the next day I have to stay at home and take care of stuff. <laughs> so you're on a one day off, one day on kind of deal right now? Yeah, and so my uh, my son goes with me every day. So the deal is we go one day, he catches up on school from that day and today, and then we'll go again the, tomorrow. So uh We've been making the best of this whole quarantine deal. We fish a lot. Well, that's good. Now, are they calling you uh, Professor Hackney yet? Have you been teaching some uh, some algebra or geometry yet? No, I don't really think they uh, – we, we let their mother do that. We don't uh, – I'm not too much – I don't have the patience to be a teacher. You're the PE teacher. You're the physical. Yeah, right. There we go. <laughs> so, been home uh, – but is it is it kind of nice to be home this time of year, uh, normally when you're traveling? You know, I hate to say this, but we have really made the best of this whole deal, and uh, I really have spent more time at home and around the house, you know, out of, you know, I guess basically 
you know, being required to do it, and it has been really enjoyable. Now, what have you been just doing bass fishing? Have you all been doing a little bit of crappie, getting something for the table? Yeah, we did some. Uh, we back when I like when we get first got back from Lake Fort, you know, the crappie were still spawning then, and uh, and so we crappie fished a while. Since they've quit now, it's it's strictly bass fishing, and actually, we are fixing to start targeting catfish next. <laughs> now, what kind of cast do you have down there? Uh, we have you know all kinds, you know, uh, blue cat channel flatheads. We have them all, but we're gonna fish for flatheads. That's our that's our preferred species of catfish. What's the biggest catfish you've ever caught? Uh, probably sixty pounds. That's pretty good size right there. What what's your uh, what's your limit on the eating size? Are you ten and under? Uh, well, so that's the deal. If you uh, it is if I if it's channel cat or uh, or blue cat, like a channel cat, I really don't want them bigger than five pounds, and a, a a channel, I mean, a blue cat, I, like 10 pounds or smaller, but on the flathead, you know, you need a 40 pounder. I mean, they don't, uh, they're just not fat. They're not greasy like other species of catfish. They, you know, they're more live bait feeders and we fish for them with live bait and, uh, you can just eat them a lot bigger than you can other catfish. So what, what is your go-to setup for catfish? Uh, well, we do a little bit, of all of it, man. I, we trot line, bottom fish, put out noodles, uh, Another deal we're going to do, too, is, uh, like, we have a lot of big garfish here, like 100-pounders. Wow. And we're going to fish for those some, too. You ever get any uh, snapping turtles on that trot line? Uh, occasionally we get some. You know, the deal is here, so, I, you know, I grew up in Arkansas, mm-hmm. and uh, we have, I actually had more logging, loggerhead snapper turtles there than here because here they end up in soup. So you don't, <laughs> find, you don't find as many of them. <laughs> as I did as a kid, you know, they were pretty common. They're not as common now because like I said, they end up in the soup. Cause I've heard turtles have what, seven different types of meat in the shell. Is that right? Uh, you, you know what? I'm, I'm at that deal. It's about like eating an armadillo. I don't, I'm not, I don't really want any turtle. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm, I'm out on that. <laughs> yeah, well, You know, I, I'm that guy that says, eh, you know what? I, I eat a lot of different stuff, but I don't have to eat everything. I can live off the land, but not that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, and a lot of people don't know you grew up in Arkansas, um, and they they kind of assume that you are a Louisiana native. But when did you uh, when did you leave Arkansas? Uh, you know, I was early twenties, I guess, when I moved. Uh, you know, my wife was going to vet, I, so I had a friend of mine going to vet school at LSU, and I was down visiting him. And my wife was in his vet school class, and uh, that's how we got together, and that's how I moved to Louisiana. And I guess I've lived in Louisiana now since. 1997. Uh, so I've, I've spent as much time in, uh, I've lived in Louisiana now as long as I've lived in, that I lived in Arkansas. Wow. You think Coach O and the Tigers will be able to, to make that run again this year? Uh, no, I think we'll have a really good team. I just don't think we'll have that team yet that we had. You know, <laughs> the NFL has been blessed with too many Tigers That's for right. us to have uh, <laughs> for us to have that same team as we had last year. That team that we had last year was, you know, was basically the dream team. I mean, everything just came together. You know, they were perfect. The puzzle was completely completed. That was a heck of a team last year. It was crazy good. It's crazy how many of them went to the NFL. You yeah, know I mean. That goes. I mean, you you basically have that national championship team when two thirds of them end up in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Did you go to any games last year? I did not. I, I really prefer to watch those games on uh, uh, television. 
I like to replay, man. I mm-hmm. like to sit on my own couch and watch the game and uh, in the comforts of my own home. I'm the same way. I don't like people squirting a mustard pack on my back or something. That's right. You know, I and you, you just, it's nice to be able to, so when you're watching on television, for me, it's like being there because I can see everything so well. And I like the replays and I like the commentators, you know, I like the whole, uh, a whole deal. And I've been to a few games and uh, it's cool, but it's like, so for me, when you go to the game, you enjoy the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. When I'm watching the game, I enjoy the game. That's right. Television, you know, so that's kind of the difference for me. You know, everybody's different. Plus, you ain't got to wait in the line for the bathroom. That's right. And you don't <laughs> have to walk. It depends on where you're seated. At. You don't have to walk miles and go through all those people. And That's yeah, right. So. Well, man, I know this season's going to be kind of different than, than years past, but Coming off a, a second place at the Red Crest last year, you had to be hungry to get back after it this year. Yeah, you know it, it's been a it's been a good season so far, and uh, you know we went, really went to some great places and caught a lot of big fish. Uh, you know we changed our format, you know from where last year basically any bass was a scoreable bass to this year, you know the bass having to be two pounds or bigger. To me, it slowed the format of every bass counts. You know, everybody targeting bigger fish. And like I said, we went to great places. And, you know, so far, so good. I had had a, had a good year. I'm 10th in the points currently. And, um, you know, one thing is going to be different this year, of course, that we've missed the, you know, the bass rut. Mm-hmm. We were really right in the middle of it, which <laughs> is my favorite time to fish, just because you, you can catch such big ones. And we're going to fish later in the year. You know, we're fixing to get back started. Our next event is scheduled right now, as long as everything you know, continues to go around the 1st of June is where we're going to start back. So we're basically going to fish, you know, summer to fall this mm-hmm. year and on into the fall later, which will be a little different. But, you know, like I said, I, I'm just glad that we're going to get back started. You know, it was a while there, you know, with all this deal going on, we really didn't know what to expect. You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, about the first week of this whole quarantine, I thought the whole planet was going to die off, you know. Oh, yeah. And so we've gotten a taste of it and to see that, you know, life goes on and we're, we're going to be okay. And, uh, you know, I will tell you this about the whole deal. Every day of the week now is like a Saturday at the boat ramps here. Good I mean, That's so many sure. people fishing, man. I, you know, so if any positive comes from this, it will be that there's a chance that there are a lot of people that haven't had the opportunity to go fishing that have got to go fishing during this, uh, you know, during this whole deal. And, uh, we might come up with some new, some new fishermen. Oh, you know, we will. I, I think we you will. Know, I know there's a lot of kids, you know, they, they, they shut down all the, you know, baseball and things like that for a lot of kids. But what they have had the opportunity to do, they've had the opportunity to go fishing. And I know a lot of people whose kids pay, play ball that typically don't have a chance to go fishing. And that their kids, you know, have been fishing during this whole deal. So uh, it might show everybody that, uh, you know, when you can't do anything else, you can go fishing. Mm-hmm. I think it'll help our industry just rebound quicker than than most coming back out of this. Once everything kind of opens back up, people are going to figure out. Well, man, I can still go fishing. I enjoyed it so much that I think that's going to help uh, help our industry at least grow a little quicker than maybe some other segments. Yeah, I do. I do think that we are very fortunate in that that our industry will not have as long term impact as a lot of other ones because mm-hmm. of that reason, man. I mean, people are fishing, man. I'm not. It's it's crazy. I. You know, uh, on a Wednesday morning, I'll show up at the boat ramp 30 minutes before daylight and be boat 22 putting in, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, 
they, uh, you know, people are getting out there and enjoying it, you know, enjoying fishing right now. And we've had a good, you know, we've had a really good spring here around my house. I can't say that for everywhere, but we've had a really warm, nice spring and a lot of, we, we've actually kind of been in a drought. I know y'all haven't. Mm-hmm. I know that mid-section because like I've been a couple trips to Arkansas and cleaned up trees around my uh, mother's house from all the storms and all. But during that same period of time when y'all were getting all that bad weather here, I mean, the ground was cracking. I mean, we weren't we weren't hardly getting any rain, you know. So we just had a lot of sunny days, nice warm weather. I mean, it was now it's only been in the 80s this week. It was predicted to be in the 90s, but uh, it's just been great fishing weather, and and people are getting after it. So it, it's pretty awesome to see that with a lot of bad going on. When you still see people, you know, you know, making it okay and enjoying themselves. I like that term, the bass rut. I do. I like that. Yeah, I robbed that from uh, Andy Morgan is the first person I heard say that, and I, it just really stuck because, I mean, that's basically what the spawn is. Right. I mean, you got that period, they they cruising before they, Chasing. <laughs> they go to yeah. spawn, and I mean, it, and that's when the big ones show up, just like deer hunting, you know, during the rut, it's when the big ones just come out of the ground, and fishing's the same way, you know, that's, that's for me, that period of time always gives you that at any cast, you can catch the fish of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And most of the rest of the year, you don't think about that. You know what I mean? Like the rest of the year, it's just about catching fish. But during that period of time, it's about catching big ones. And uh, it's my favorite time of fishing. Like I said, we you, we just came from Fork. So we had been from the highest of highs <laughs> to being all of our events being canceled to the lowest of lows, you know, right there uh, in one uh, in one swoop. But, uh, but like I said, I, I think we're going to get back started here pretty quick and you know, everywhere, even here, which is a part of the country who, what it, that has really been affected by the coronavirus, the whole New Orleans area and around that area, you know, because it kind of seemed like it flared up here after Mardi Gras. And um, but still, you know, we're starting to open back up. You know, they're letting people now like, you know, go to restaurants and sit outside on the patios as long as they're six feet apart and they're only with people that they live with. And so, you know, gradually, I just noticed the last two weeks here that the traffic has picked up. That's Mm -hmm. how I can tell that everything is, you know, people are ready. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we've been down for over a month. Everybody's ready to get cranked back up. And so I think we're going to see that, you know, happen pretty quick. Well, I got to take advantage of those uh, lower gas prices right now for sure. So, you know what I'll have to say here, it's not, a dollar fifty nine is as low as it's been. Really? Yeah, and like uh, there are places in Arkansas it was like a dollar four ninety eight cent. I'm like, that's that's crazy. Dollar fifty nine. I filled my boat up yesterday morning. It was a dollar fifty nine, which I don't. So I'm not complaining. Right. <laughs> they, you know what? If we can just stay at a dollar fifty nine for the next couple of years, I'm I'm good with that. I'd be happy with that for sure. Yeah, I saw a dollar and a quarter Saturday here in Tennessee. And uh, uh, that's pretty nice. I talked to Mike McClellan yesterday and he said in, uh, around, uh, his house in Missouri, it was a dollar nine. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That'd be nice. I, I, I'm like, I, I would fill up everything I own. <laughs> <laughs> kind of wish we had bigger gas tanks right now just to <laughs> take right. advantage of it. Take advantage of it. I, I do have a question for you. You had touched uh, a few minutes ago on the two pound, uh, limits they made this year and, and the change in format as far as every fish counts. We, we watch live a lot, and we keep up with everybody, and, and we obviously get, get the opportunity to talk to quite a few of the anglers. But one thing that we seem to notice is you seem, for lack of better terms, you seem to stay true to you. 
uh, regardless of the of the every fish counts format. And you you keep that flipping stick in your hand quite a bit, um, working cover and stuff. Have you noticed any adaptations you've worked on changing formats, or do you just kind of do hackney? Yeah, well, so for me last year, I the I really did not necessarily change my style of fishing. I just changed lures, and and I did because of that one pound uh, scoreable fish. I did ended up downsizing lures to generate more bites. Now this year, what I figured out was that currently, or in our first few events, you can't target a two pounder. You almost have to target three and four pounders and hope the two pounder comes, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, a fish that is, you know, all the way up to say a pound ten, you can fish for that fish. You can target that fish. But it seemed like when we got to two pounds, I can't explain that, but you couldn't find anywhere we've been schools of two pounders. Mm-hmm. I had to fish for three, four, five pounders. And that some of that might have been the lake and the time of the year because it was pre-spawn. You, you know what I mean? Like it was just that period of time when the big ones are the most active. And uh, But it seemed like, you know, when I caught a two-pounder, great, but I caught very few two-pounders. Like... I've caught very few two pound fish this year. Like say two pounds to two eight has, has not been a fish that really showed up. Now what I did is just went back and fished the exact same way that, uh, when we went to two pounds, what I found, I just go back and fish the same way I did when we fished for five bass, mm-hmm. you know, because when we fished for five bass, it was basically that same way. You had to have three pounders or, or bigger, or you weren't going to do any good. And that's kind of the way going to that two pound. Now, I, I, I will see, I think, as as it warms up and we fish later in the year, I do think there'll be more chance for guys to target, say, two to three pounders. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You'll find school. Because y- y'all know this from, like, in Tennessee. You can fish on the Tennessee River and find a school of fish, and they're all in that size. Right. You know what I mean? Like, the majority of them are, are that size, so you can target those, but... Earlier in the year, you had to target bigger fish. I mean, I've just caught like, it just seems like my average, I'll be honest with you, like in the first three events, I I think my average fish is like three nine. Like if you averaged up all the fish I've caught, they've been like three nine or bigger. That's pretty solid. uh, On on the average. And it's because of that. But I, I do see that changing, especially if we go back north, you know, to the northern United States, you'll see more fish in that two to three and a half pound range because that'll be the more common fish. But, uh, but I, I, I've, I've really liked the format better. Mm-hmm. I, last year, the format was so fast catching one pounders that, you know, those boys, they didn't, I, it seemed like at the beginning of the year, it didn't matter. I will tell you when the water was cold, even when they had to be one pounders, it didn't seem to be as big a deal as it, when the water got hot, then a lot of those guys figured out how to target one to two pounders mm-hmm. and that's what they concentrated on and they can catch them at will, you know, when the water warmed up. When uh, do y'all dictate what the, the variable weight's going to be? Do you guys know two weeks uh, out, you know, month out? Yeah, we, we pretty much like, so the way the season started and let's just hypothetically say that we didn't have this COVID-19 deal and we went ahead and fished the whole season. We were basically going to fish the two pound minimum all year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it, but we have it where it can be changed if something happens. Like if we went to in a situation where the lake didn't look like it was going to fish real good, we would probably go back to the one pound minimal. Mm-hmm. You know, we do have that opportunity 
and uh, and of course we have the opportunity to go back and fish for three pounders or better too. Could change that, but you know, like we had a meeting about that and being realistic, you go to that three pound or better, even on great lakes, you know, you're down to guys catching, you know, six to eight bass a day that, that are scoreable. I don't care where you go. It's, you know, even on great lakes, you know what I mean? Great lakes, you know, like really, really good lakes. When mm-hmm. you go to start thinking about catching a three pounder and I told him, I said, cause this was at my opinion on that deal was I was like, it's going to be bad when you catch a, a 212 to a 214, which is realistically a pretty fun fish to catch. Mm-hmm. And you can't weigh it. You know, you can. Uh... I thought my daughter was fixed to come out. She's going to come out and join us. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so but that's the reason I felt like, you know, that three pound, you've really got to go to a super lake. I we would have to go to somewhere like out in California or Falcon or, you know, or maybe Kentucky Lake back in the day, you know, right. was, you know, something like, you know, like I said, and especially if, if you were going to go to that three pound deal too, you'd have to be the exact right time a year or you stand a chance of guys not catching much. I mean, I don't care who you are. I mean, you know, I, I've had a lot of good five fish tournaments when, you know, when you were catching, when you had a big sack at the end of the day and you only caught seven. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You only caught seven bass all day. It was pretty slow. It looked good at weigh-in. I think you'll have that a lot. You know, a, a lot of times in the past, we've had events like that where it looked like the whole field was crushing them, but they really didn't. You know what I mean? It, right. They had five good ones at the end of the day, but at during the during the day, it was a very, very slow go. So I think to keep that live going and that format going, at that probably that two pounds right now is probably the best thing for us. So, you know, because I'll be honest with you, when I watch live, I like to see guys catching them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you watch a guy for about, you can watch. So this is the deal, what I figured out. There are people out there who watch that like to see a lot of fish caught. And then you have serious tournament anglers out there, like the really hardcore guys where you don't have to catch as much and they're still entertained. Mm-hmm. You know, I consider myself. But eventually... I can only watch it so long. Mm -hmm. I don't care who they are when they're not catching anything. And I'm like, I'm not going to watch it anymore. You know what I mean? It blends both of them real well. Yeah. So there's that fine line of it being entertaining and informative, but you got to catch fish. You know, that's the end game in all of this. Mm -hmm. You know, field, the end game is everybody, hardcore guys or, you know, fair weather people, whatever, you know, the end game is you still got to have some fish caught. So I think that two pound deal is kind of, Suits everybody. You know what I mean? Like oh, absolutely. Enough fish caught, enough guys catching them that, you know, just entertains everybody. But uh, So with, with the season getting pushed back, like you said, more of a summer slash fall, you know, most people are pretty accustomed to seeing you flip a jig all day. What is your go-to ledge fishing technique? What are you going to go to? You, you know, honestly, probably my second favorite way to fish is crank. I, okay. I, I mean, I'm always – I like to crank, you know, and uh, – I like to frog, you know, probably my three favorite ways of fishing are, you know, are, are flipping something, frogging or throwing a crankbait. And, uh, I, uh, you know, last year in the red crest, that's how I ended up catching all my fish on a five XD cranking. I did in the last day, but you know, they put us in a pool seven, but in, uh, in pool eight, you know, I found a big school of fish out on a break and for three days caught them every cast. 
<laughs> just warm them out. Yeah, just warm out. I, I, you know, the deal is pretty cool on a place like that when you don't think about fishing out. When you find some out, they've never been fished for before. Kind of had it all to yourself you know, there. Yeah, that's it's pretty crazy. You know, it's kind of like finding one of those schools on Kentucky Lake that, that had never seen a bait. You know, it's it's where you want to be. <laughs> but yeah, I like to crank it. It just depends on where we go. I, um, I like a big worm. We just don't fish like that much anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it just seems like the last few years, the tournaments are have been dominantly, you know, uh, when we've been in the southern part of the United States have been dominantly springtime. And then it always seems like we just leave and follow the spring north, mm-hmm. you know, and go uh, and smallmouth fish and do that. We just don't have a lot of. So I grew up when all the tournaments were in the middle of the summer when it was 100 degrees. That's right. I was going to ask you it, that. Yeah, that's how I grew up fishing. That's my favorite. I'll be still to this day. It's my favorite way of uh, fishing. I, I'll be honest with you. I Growing up, you know, fishing at home, I was a much better summer fisherman than I was spring fisherman because it always seemed like everybody caught them in the spring. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Like, and they were harder to catch in the summertime, and I, that was my favorite time of the year. But we don't – I'll be honest, the last really hot summertime tournament where I fished in water that was, uh, you know, 90 degrees or more was the Sabine River that I won. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I, I really – and that tournament was predicted, you know, or was supposed to be in the spring and they had a flood and they canceled it and moved it to, uh, you know, the middle of June. In the middle of June here at my house, it's summertime. It'll be, like I said, it was supposed to be 90 this week. I mean, we already have water temperatures in the 80s uh, wow. in some places already. You know, I, I like to fish in the summertime in the south. Mm-hmm. You know, summertime in the south is totally different from what we do when we go to the smallmouth fisheries up north, you know, water temperature there now hardly ever gets over 70. I mean, you can just about find one on the bed in the, in August, you know, in that part of the country, it's a totally different fishing, but I, I would really like to see us. I don't know exactly how, like all the places we're going when we get back started, but I hope some of them are in the South in the heat, to be honest with you. Cause I, I do enjoy that just cause I grew up fishing that way. And, uh, you know, like, most parts of the country, there's a tournament every weekend during the summer. Mm-hmm. You, you know, that's when we fit. You know, that's when I grew up fishing, and uh, you know, we kind of, kind of gotten away from that in a way because we weren't run away from the heat. And I'll tell you, the big reason that we do that is fish mortality. Mm-hmm. You know, the big reason we don't have our tournaments in the past uh, in the South during the heat because you know, a fish mortality, you know, carrying those fish around all day long and in that heat and keeping them in a live well or whatever. But with the format we have at Major League Fishing, there's really no reason for us to run away from the heat and just unless guys were didn't want to get hot. You right. know what I mean? Because we're going to catch the fish and release it over the side of the boat, you know, then anyway. So there is no fish mortality. So I hope, to, you know, in the future, if we are going to fish in the summer, that we do some of it in the south where, you know, honestly the biggest majority of the people who watch major league fishing you know in tournament anglers you know we know if you go to nashville and you draw 11 and you go an 11 hour radius of nashville tennessee that's where the biggest majority of bass boats are sold tackle and everything else because that's where all those tournaments are every saturday and sunday well that's right and you grew up i mean coming up in the pros uh you did those fall tournaments y'all used to go into September and into October. And I think a lot of people, if 
find that with some of the tougher times of the year. So I, I guarantee you a bunch of people are going to watch y'all try to figure them out. You know, August and September are by far the two toughest months of the year, you know, on the angler because of the temperatures and just that's just that blah time of the year when it's hard to get a bite, mm-hmm. you know, most places. So it's just like even those lakes that are so good the beginning of the summer when those fish are wadded up on, uh, you know, they're wadded up together when they first come off the bed and they all go out there and get on those ledges. And then they start that August, September is when they start to d- disperse. You know, even those lakes that are good summertime river cranking deals, that's so tough that time of the year. So, but I enjoy that. You know, mm-hmm. because I'll be honest with you, to me, my favorite tournaments have not always been slugfest. You know, slugfest are good when you're just fishing. That's fun. But when you're fishing against 80 of the best anglers on the planet, slugfest are not always that fun. <laughs> Especially no. when you got to listen to that score tracker. Dang it in your I got a question on score tracker. Would you be a proponent of just knowing what the winning weight was, not who it was? Uh, yes, you know, we, we discussed that. Because I think if uh, you saw, let's say, Bobby Lane right near you and he was catching a chatterbait and it dings, Bobby Lane's caught two. It, it kind of gave you some prior knowledge just because you were in the same area versus yeah, if you just saw it dinging. That. And would it change anything, you think? Uh, I, I do think it would. It would. We, we, we have discussed doing that, that where we know what the weights are, but you don't know who's catching them, but yet the fans do know. Right, yeah. Like, they would still know on live if Bobby's catching them or not, but I won't know what Bobby's fish are. Like, I saw Bobby fish by me, and then all of a sudden Bobby lights up the score tracker, and I'm like, hmm, I know what Bobby's doing. Right. And it does change the outcome to some extent, and it wouldn't be fair. So let's just say that I'm in a pocket, and I don't and I don't know what – I don't see Bobby, but yet Elam, James Elam's in another pocket, and he's watching Bobby catch them. Mm-hmm. So, and then he knows because of the score tracker, what's, you know, what's going on. So it's, it would be unfair to the other anglers. So in a way, yeah, I would like to see him change that. So I wouldn't know because I think that would just be a little more pure form. So what we're doing right now is the purest form of the sport because Mm -hmm. of the the pre-fishing and we only have a day and a half and the, you know, the way we're doing it, it does, it is a lot harder. Uh, but there are some ways that we could adjust that. And I do think I see us making those adjustments as it go on. You know, think about this, the, the Bass Pro Tours, this is just its year two. Right. That's crazy. Major League Fishing has been around. This will be year eight mm-hmm. or year nine, either eight, year eight or nine for Major League Fishing, you know, which is sure enough the purest form where we don't even know where we're going until we get there in the morning. But the Bass Pro Tour, you know, this just being year two of it. So, it's just like us going from one pound to two pound. We've already made that adjustment. So, you know, we'll keep tweaking it, you know, I, because I do think across the board, what they do want to do with with the Bass Pro Tour is, is to make it the hardest form of tournament fishing that there is out there. Mm-hmm. That's basically what it's all about. It's the reason, you know, that we don't have a limit, you know, because I tell you the reason, so people understand this, now, I am a five-fish five fisherman at heart because I grew up that way. So it has been this every fish counts. But there are events that are affected by a guy that only caught five, and one of them happened to be an eight- or nine-pounder mm-hmm. that have changed the course of an event. You don't have to worry about getting beat by that guy with when every bass counts. That's right. What it will take, any luck factor, if there was any, which I've never really been a – never really thought day in and day out, I'm not saying that on one day that a guy couldn't have got lucky and caught a giant, 
But what it will do day in and day out, it will show you the guy who's on them the best. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. There ain't no way a guy's going out there fluking day in and day out into 20, 30, 40 bass a day. You know what I mean? It'll be the guy who's figured it out the best. And that's the, one of the reasons that our format is the way it is. It is hard. I will be honest with you. I'm still not even going to lie to you and tell you that there ain't days where I wish we went back to five because it slows down. You know, mm-hmm. when you're fishing for five, the whole deal is mentally you slow down because you catch five or maybe you've got five and you just caught a big one. It relaxes you. Right. I will tell you on this format that we're fishing right now, you never get relaxed. I have in two years of fishing it right now, I have never, it rattles your nerves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is, it's pretty crazy how it pushes you. You know, it definitely pushes you to a limit. You know, there'll be guys that'll never like it. You know what I mean? Right. I don't even know. I can't even go out. I'm not, I can't even lie to you right now and tell you it's my favorite thing ever because it's not, you know, but it, it is hard and it is exciting and it pushes you. And uh, it is a cool thing when I get to watch like the other group fish. I'm like, I know what they're going through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's pretty crazy. And I got to commend uh, the BPT. I really think y'all have done uh, a great job of just not only adapting and changing, but being open to it. But I got to say, I, I'm a big proponent of y'all's no information, as hard as that may be for y'all not to talk buddy to buddy, just, you know, talking fishing. But the fact that you guys really have taken that to a ne- you know another level of no information. Well, I just think that goes back to that fairness. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It keeps the playing field really even because so this, cause this is the deal, you know, so we can talk. So let's just say that you and I go to, we were at fork and you'd been to fork before and I had, so before the tournament starts, before practice starts, if you wanted to tell me something, you still can, you know, because we're competitors and we're in the event together. But what happens at 12 o'clock, the day before we start, the night before we start practicing at 12 a.m., it changes. We cannot speak to one another again. So once you spend that first day of practice on the lake, we do not talk about fishing anymore. Have the so conversation's the, gotten weirder? If you guys uh, can't talk about fishing? You know, pro- probably last year it did. But not, since we've done it a year, mm-hmm. not, not so much now. We just all know. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like it, and it was probably harder. I've pretty much always stayed by myself anyway. So I, so this is the deal. I've been traveling with some of the anglers now and I wouldn't do that before because of that reason. Mm -hmm. So the deal is now I've been able to enjoy, we, you know, we cook at night and, you know, enjoy one another's company and visit or whatever. But before that period of time, I wouldn't stay with anybody because I don't want to, I don't want to know what they're doing. You know, I don't want them to tell me anything that may mess up my deal. So it's actually allowed me now to, save money on a hotel room because (laughs) you know because now i'm splitting it with other people and before i wouldn't do that now if they went back to sharing information again i go back staying by myself because i don't really want to know what they're doing i don't really care right i mean i i I know this is the deal if if some if you do share and there are guys doing it and it's great you know other tournament trails whatever and that's fine but the deal is you have to if somebody's going to share information with you they have to be 100 percent truthful Mm-hmm. They cannot leave any part of it out because they can tell you just enough to lead you in the wrong direction. And I've had that before, too. So that's the reason fishermen, just tournament anglers, guys that you fish against, have a hard time not telling the truth <laughs> <laughs> or not or telling the truth. You know, so I just I find it better that, 
don't get any information. Just do your deal. You know, you do that research. We can still research online, like tournament weights, fishing reports, you know, how the fishing is on the lake. And I still do that, but I like it. I mm -hmm. like not. And then I don't have to worry about three guys over there staying together and one of them figured them out and the other two didn't, but then he tells the other two and all, all three of them catch them during the tournament. Right. So it eliminates that. Kind of goes back to that deal you're talking about, like me not being able to see the names on score tracker. Mm -hmm. you know? Who you been running with? Oh, I stay with Stephen Browning, Anthony Gagliardi, and Jacob Prosnick. Who's the messiest out of y'all? Oh, Prosnick, 100%. <laughs> I can see that. What? Right, so let so let me tell you this: Jacob Prosnick is a modern day Jackie Gleason. <laughs> I, I'm not lying to you. He he we like it. We keep him around for comic relief. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm like he's funner than a barrel of monkeys. I'm not lying to you. They, he is something else. We went on a quail hunt uh, down at J Todd's one time, and he came and yeah, he's he's a hoot. He is a hoot. Yes, he is. So, what's your typical day off look like? What are you getting into? Uh, you, uh, you know, so this is the deal. That day off, I typically spend working on my tackle. You know, sometimes we'll have, uh, you know, we have some, uh, like, activations or sponsor obligations, you know, where, you know, guys go to a tackle store or go to a boat dealership and uh, that type of deal. Or I'll do interviews or, you know, we might do a podcast you know, that type of stuff. But the majority of the day will be spent. Uh, I typically get up and spend the day working on my tackle. You know, so <clears throat> one thing it is different, you, it does seem like I carry more tackle now in the boat, like, and I'll have more rods rig. And I think the deal is that is because of those off days. Mm -hmm. And so if you practice like a, like a typical event for us in the past would be, I would practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so you would kind of have, you would know what was going on. You, and then you would fish the next day. Then you would fish the next day. And then as you, if you did, you know, well enough, you'd fish the third and then the fourth day. And so the difference is now, so I practice basically a day and a half. So they, they give us where well, they've changed it. It was, we had to be on the second day of practice. We had to be off the lake at four. Now they've extended that to six. So the first day you can practice daylight till dark the next day. So if I'm in group B, so I practice those two days, but if I'm in group B, I don't get to fish on the third day. Mm -hmm. So what happens is you lose those fish a lot of times. So when I do start back on uh, the, basically would be the fourth day would be my first day. You know, there are a lot of unknowns. So I have to be kind of prepared for that. So in practice, I typically, you know, I'm thinking of like when I catch one or I find an area that's got some fish or whatever, I try to find three or four different ways to catch those fish. And I'm trying to make those adjustments for that day I'm not out there. Because a lot of times you'll find what happens, you'll roll out there, you know, four days or three or two days later than when you practice the last day. And a lot has changed. The water's fell. The weather's different. You know, guys fished the day before you. So I just find you have to be a little more prepared than in the past because I'm not staying on top of those fish every day. And so the deal is even if I fished on in group A, I fished on, let's say, a Monday, group B fished on Tuesday. I don't fish again until Wednesday. So you you always have that off day, you know, of things changing. And I just have to stay a little more, uh, you know, a little more involved, mm -hmm. you know, and like with with more rods and more tackle in the boat and be ready for that adjustment. 
and to make that adjustment on the fly because you don't know what happened that day you weren't out there. Do you change line every day? Uh, I, you know, I do on some things. I, so I'll tell you this. If I'm cranking, spinner baiting, um, bladed jig, you know, things that you cast and wind a lot, if that's the dominant deal I'm doing in a day, that rod always gets the line changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, typically, you know, if you're flipping or that kind of deal, or if you light line fishing, I change the line every day. But now, you know, the deal with that is you're changing off an eight-foot piece. Right. You know, because most of the time now on a spinning rod, I'm using braid and a, a fluoro leader. Uh, a shaky head's about the only thing I don't like. I still do not like braid and a fluoro leader. I throw straight eight-pound gamma fluorocarbon on a shaky head. I, I just, I, I guess I'm kind of old school. I've always done that, and uh, I don't like for some reason I don't on a drop shot or a wacky worm. I love the fluorocarbon leader, mm-hmm. but on uh, but on a shaky head I do not. I just uh, I like straight fluoro. But so I would change, you know, ch- of course change, uh, you know, change that kind of line every day. But uh, and cranking, but like flipping and stuff, I don't. Like a lot of times I don't. Might be, I, I mean, I guess if it, if I'm around a bunch of wood and stuff, my and you know I'm flipping like twenty gam or something, and I. Uh, the line got roughed up. I might, but not so much. How long do you leave braid on your reels? You know, typically if it's 50 or better, I'd leave it on there till it starts to fuzzy. It's, you know, kind of fuzzy. And black or, sharpie won't lay it down anymore. Yeah. It, well, the, the, it, it just, a, so when it gets fuzzy, that means strands are starting to break. You know, if I see a fuzzy spot in it, I'll, you know, but, you know, typically with it, it it'll definitely, I can't tell you that I don't change it every event, you know, but I might spool it up like on a Monday and if we go to the next event. It looks like I'm going to use braid that same rod a lot. I might change it again. Yeah. I leave it on there a week. I just can't take any chances because, you know, the deal with us, one bite can cost me 10 grand. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's, you know, when you pay your light bill with a fishing pole, you, you just have to make sure that you take care of any variables you can, you know, the part that you can control. So I, I was talking to Hardtone. We we all went out and fished this weekend, quite a few of us, and uh, he had some problems breaking off his braid to fluoro. What knot are you tying on that? Uh, so I tie a, on a, a crazy Alberto. Okay. But I will tell you this. I am fixing to change to an FG knot. Have you figured it out? Got, I just haven't got to the point where I can tie it fast enough, and it's an exact every time. Mm-hmm. But I am practicing with that, and I truly believe – and uh, I'll be honest with you, Jeff Creek told me about that knot a long time ago. And I I was like, but I watched him tie it. And I was like, well, there's no way I, I'm going to spend 20 minutes tying a knot. But since that period of time, I've watched some other people tie it. And they tie it a little quicker in a different way than he does. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I can ever perfect it and get the speed right where I can tie it proficiently, yeah, I definitely think that's probably the best knot out there. Um but like right now, I'm tying a crazy Alberto, and I had really good luck with it. You know, uh, I started with a blood knot. I had all kinds of trouble with it, not because it wouldn't. I didn't have a trouble breaking it. I had trouble with it catching in the guides. Mm-hmm. Right? So the the crazy Alberto goes through the guides better than uh, than a blood knot. But that FG knot, you know, it's longer, but it's it's smaller. Mm-hmm. It speeds right through the guide. It just right now it takes me a long time. It's not necessarily it's taking me a long time to tie it. It's just that I'm not confident enough that it's 100% every time 
if that makes sense. Oh, I'm it not, is. Yeah, you miss yeah, one I'm step not, and it's uh, it that, can be gone. Yes. Who do you think is the, the fastest at tying an FG on tour? You know, I watched Littner tied on a Jared Littner tied on a video, and I was impressed watching him tie it. There's no shocker Crete knew about him and being a saltwater guy that he is. Yeah, Crete, but so Crete, so this is the deal. I don't really, Crete wraps it around his leg. Now, I'll tell you this, Crete's is 100% every time. There's no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. But he wraps it around his leg in a way for the tension, mm -hmm. you know? But I watched Littner just put his rod down the other way and put tension back on his rod and tie it, and it just seemed like his way was easier, you know? Yeah, Seth like Spider does it that way, too. They roll it around once or twice around the guy and then stick it under their leg and got the tension coming that, off the rod. Yeah. That's the way, uh, that's the way Littner tied it. And, uh, I, uh, but I guarantee that Creed is such a particular for everything. His might be 110%. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it just, I watched him tied in Florida is the first time I'd ever seen anybody tied. And, uh, I mean, literally, it probably didn't take him 20 minutes, but it seemed like it did. <laughs> I'm like, I ain't got time to jack with that. I'm a Palomar not mad. <laughs> I'm down to three minutes, I think. I can tie one in three minutes now. I'm but, trying but, to get well, that two-minute mark. But, you know, well, the, this is the deal with it. I typically always only tie it the day before, so it really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I tie it the day before, and then you just cut your, uh, you know, you, your leader's long enough that you typically don't have to tie again during the day mm -hmm. you know you just tie it the night before you know before the so it's that's not as big a deal but my main deal is right now it's just getting it to where i'm a hundred percent sure that it's so this is the deal i go spend three or four minutes tying it and it's not right and then i gotta cut it off and i spent three or four minutes tying it again i, I just i'm just not a hundred percent yet and i'll be honest with you i'm practicing with it now like like when it's not on a you know during an event so i can get my confidence in it but I definitely think it's the way to go. Mm -hmm. No, it's a heck of a knot. And you're a Palomar, right, for everything else? Yeah. So this is the deal with a Palomar knot. As long as you tie it properly, it's 100%. Or it is on gamma fluorocarbon. I cannot speak for everyone else's. But the biggest problem that everybody has with it is crossing the lines. That's what breaks the knot. It would do that on monofilament back in the day if you crossed the knot. Mm -hmm. You have to keep your finger between those two lines when you tie it keep them from crossing they have to lay flat across the other line before you tie the knot and that's the reason that people and it seems to be worse on fluorocarbon than it is on uh, monofilament because it burns that fluorocarbon if you cross those lines mm -hmm. but long as it's tied I, i've been tying a palomar knot for i mean i'm gonna say 30 years and i've never you know the, i will tell you this i went through a period of history this has been maybe uh, maybe 15 years ago now that when fluorocarbon really was getting popular, I didn't have any luck with it. But the deal was it wasn't the knot. It was the fluorocarbon. Mm -hmm. So if you're having issues with it, it's either one. If you type properly and you're still having issues, it's your line. It's not the knot. I mean, that's the biggest reason you see this San Diego jam and all these other knots with three tag ends and all this crazy mess come out there. <laughs> it wasn't, we didn't need all that before the line changed. So it's not the knot, it's the line. Right. You know. You need to do a video on your Palomar because you do it a little different than folks doing poking well, it through. Well, the biggest mistake I see most everybody make is, is trying to go, they send the line through once and then turn around and come back through it. Mm -hmm. That seems to be hard to keep the line from crossing when you do that. 
So I just always, I mean, I tied on six pound test on a drop shot. Mm-hmm. And don't have issues with it. I just tie it. You, the deal is it just has to be doubled when it goes through the eye. And then, and then you keep your, my index finger, when I run it through, my index finger is through the line. Mm-hmm. So there's no, I don't have to worry about them crossing when I run it back through. Uh, because that's, because this is the deal. You may not retie that FG knot during the tournament, but you're going to retie the one that's to your hook a lot during the day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And especially when you need to retie, I, it has to be instant. You got to get it done where you can get back up, you know, and get back after it. And uh, I just don't have time to fool with those other knots. Ten four. Well, I want to change gears with you real quick and ask you a question because I wasn't here at Phoenix when you did come on. Um, but you were one of the first national pro staff. Actually, you were the first national pro staff uh, member of Phoenix. Uh, what what made you jump ship? Uh, what what did you see and you know with Gary and Teresa and, and the operation that we had at that time that uh, you said, man, that, that's that's the place I want to be. That's home. So the deal is it, I, you know, not to take anything from uh, Gary and Teresa, but it was Hank. I oh, worked okay. a boat show with Hank in Tennessee, mm-hmm. and that was the first. They they had one Phoenix there, and this was several years now before, uh, before, uh, you know, I signed on with Phoenix. But it was the first time I, I got an opportunity to see the boat, mm-hmm. and so. I just really liked the boat and I really liked Hank. Hank's a good guy. <laughs> he really is, you know? And so that was my first, uh, that, so I'm going to tell you that was, man, maybe like maybe 2007, maybe. I was going to say 2007, I, 2008, probably. Yeah. I'd say so. Yeah. That's, that's about when, uh, that's when it was. And they had one, uh, they had one boat there and, uh, it was red. It was red and black. But I, I don't know, just that whole deal. And I looked it over good. You know, technically I couldn't be looking it over. Right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I, I looked it over when, uh, when we were through that day. And uh, you know, I don't know. I just, I really liked it. I, it looks like a Corvette. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it does. Like I'll be honest with you, out of all the bass boats out there, the Phoenix boat, Phoenix boat looks like a boat. Looks like a bass boat. Mm-hmm. It just kind of keeps that same sleek lines and you know i don't know and then i went and met with gary because i called gary mm-hmm. you know and uh i'll be honest with you i was impressed with that 10 building in uh in Tullahoma, tennessee also yeah you know what they were doing out of it and just the whole deal and gary and i spent the day together and just had a really good conversation and you know i just i don't know you know how it's, it's like fishing and going around a corner and something telling you, you know what i need to throw right there I don't right. know why, you know, I don't know that I can explain that, but, uh, yeah. Cause I say, I, I really didn't, uh, I, I and Je- and I'll be honest with you. And Jeff Coble's another one because I, I had known Coble for a long time. I had known Jeff before he went to, uh, before he went to Phoenix and I called and talked to him, mm-hmm. you know, before I ever went and talked to, uh, before I went and talked to Gary and Teresa and, uh, because I didn't know them at the, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I had talked to Hank and uh, and had talked to Coble, but I didn't. Uh, but I had got the lowdown. You know what I mean? Right. I, you I did, did a little research. Uh, I did some research, and uh, and I and I I thought enough of Coble that I knew he was shooting me straight. You know what I mean? Like, 
He may yell it at you, but he's going to tell you the truth. Right. (laughs) And he's another one of those comic relief guys. Oh, Oh, for sure. For sure. (laughs) He's a good person to call on a long drive. He'll... John Doe number two. But I'll, right. tell, I'll tell you something. Most people, story. well, most people probably don't know about Coble, you know, because he's loud and he's going to shoot you straight. But I tell you, every time he comes to visit, he buys donuts for the entire plant, buys sausage biscuits for the plant. You know, he always comes through, takes care of everybody working on the boats. And uh, see, that'd be the only thing that would throw up a red flag to me if uh, if Coble came to me with a box of donuts. I'd be like, "What's coming next? Like, Get ready to do a seminar." <laughs> Oh shoot, that's funny. Hey, do you remember that first boat? Was it white, red, and black? Uh, the first one I had. No, the first one you saw with Hank at that show. Uh, I think it was. That must have been the that first was one. Probably the first seven twenty-one. We just yeah. got that back uh, last week, so we now. Oh, you're kidding! That no. way, to, that way to throw the surprise out there. Uh... Oh, sorry, <laughs> ruined it. But yeah, we tracked it down. It, it's. Traded hands a couple times, and it actually ended up only being about 45 minutes up the road. Isn't that something? I can't remember. So that dealership is in, seemed like it's in, uh, seemed like it was in, so that part I can't remember the dealership, but seemed like it was in northeastern Tennessee. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who was up there. I I remember, I'll tell you this, I'll I can't remember the guy, the guy's name, but he is a, uh, he also has a pest business hmm. that owns a dealership. I have to do some Gary, research. Gary, will, Gary will know. Cause your, your first uh, boat, you, you took out, I think I it was 2010 when you started running, you had a 721 the first go around, correct? I did. I had the first three boats I had were 721s. Okay. You had, yeah, you've kind of jumped so around I, a little bit in different models, haven't you? I have. I've tried all the, uh. So I've had a 920, yep, uh, a 20 PHX, and uh, now I have a uh, a 920 Elite. You got the first uh, Elite. But the uh, yeah, I do. I still I'm the inaugural 920 <laughs> Elite. I the uh, the deal is I've always stuck with that size of boat just because that's my favorite. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, all in all, I mean, I'm not. I, they they're all great. They all have great features. I do have a soft spot in my heart for a 721. I don't know if that's because that's the boat I started in. But that's that, you know, I'm a big 721 fan, you know, just all in all. They're mm-hmm. all great boats. Uh, but that 721 is a rocket. It is. And it just, I don't know. It's just so sleek looking, you know, and it's it's keen made. I don't know. It's that. And, you know, again, that's the first, <laughs> that's the first Phoenix boat I ever saw, you know, was a, uh, a 721 but i just that's it has that it looks like a corvette on the trailer it looks like a corvette sitting in the water you know what i mean have you have you found a way to put that day box in that 920 elite to good use man i got every orifice on that boat pack with something. <laughs> you know that's the cool now i will tell you this so the 920 elite my favorite is the single not ever i know some guys like the two boxes mm-hmm. my favorite is having the big single box in the middle that's by far my favorite choice. The other, the day box is because what I noticed, I, you pick, so I got the big single box and the day box. I have three times as much storage to, for me personally, seems like than I would with the two boxes mm-hmm. and uh, I don't I lose any rod space. 
So it seems for me personally, it seems like I can get more tackle by having that big single box. Mm-hmm. And, but yet I can still keep just as many rods in the rod box. So it's almost like I've gained more storage compartment, you know, by doing that. And I like being able to open up the one lid and being able to see everything. It just seems like I can get stuff quicker that way. Uh, and then probably the next coolest thing is that sliding box because that's where I keep all my plastics. So I've always just carried like in the past, like a rubber, rubber made, you know, a Tupperware box or whatever to carry bulk plastics in. Right. And I would just set that on top of all of my, you know, crankbait boxes, jig boxes and all that stuff. But by having a slide in there, I eliminate having that uh, Tupperware box and then I'm not picking it up, moving it around because I can just slide my plastics now bulk plastics and stuff over and get to my boxes quicker so yeah I, you know our tackle storage system now is probably the the best of best it's the best it's ever been you know across the board i'm glad to hear that and uh we got some new stuff now, coming next year you probably be interested in too the uh the i'll tell you one thing about the 920 elite but probably my favorite part now it right now so the, this is the deal across the board all the phoenixes ride well you you, you know what i mean it doesn't mm-hmm. matter which i'll be out so I ran a 618 on Cherokee when the wind was blowing like 25, wide open. And it rides good, you know, which is the smallest boat in the uh, in the Phoenix line. Mm-hmm. And, and it had a 150 on it. And back in the day, which would have been the boat, you know what I mean? Like, uh, <laughs> that used to was a big, you know, back, so I can remember when I had a 379 dra- Javelin with a dual axle trailer, 18 foot with a 175. And that was a big boat. Like, that's. That was a big boat. That was you know? a Cadillac. So now our boats are, you know, and that 618 would have been the boat back in, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It would have owned the market back in the day um, for that size boat. But so all the Phoenixes ride well. But so one thing that I've noticed, each of them fish a little different. Okay. So I will tell you this about a 721. To me, it has more drift. It drifts a little more than, say, my 920 Elite does. Mm-hmm. The 920 Elite doesn't seem like it drifts as much. You you don't, and you'd have to fish out of to see that. Some people would never even notice what I'm right. talking about. But but the difference is, like, so the 920 Elite, the deck is higher, and the sides are lower. So to me, I it, it I cast out of it better, flipping mm-hmm. and pitching, and you're setting up higher in the water, and there's nothing in front of you. It's almost like you're sitting out on the end. It would be, it's like the way it is, it would be like standing on the diving board and casting off of it. There's nothing in your way. You know what I mean? You're just, it's water out in front of you. No obstruction. So, yes. So that, so all the boats have little different, you know, features about them. So, and what I mean by that is there's one out there. There's one out there for everybody. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it depends on what you, what you want. So the 920 to me is bigger. The 920 Elite fish is bigger than uh, than a 721. So Luke and I have been fishing. My my youngest son, we fish. So that gives more room for him and I to fish on the front deck because the front deck is wider and then not having those sides. So it's a better boat for where guys are going to fish with somebody. A guy that's going to stand in the front by himself all the time would never notice that with a 721. You, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. he's up there by himself. But if he's going to put Big Mike in the boat with him, you know, up there on the front, he'd be better off to have a 920 Elite or even a 921. You know what I mean? So it just depends on – that's the cool thing about Finks. There's not one out there that doesn't suit everybody. There's one out there that suits everybody. That's right. 
And that's the cool thing. I've had the opportunity to fish out of so many different ones, you know, so you get to see that when you spend all day in a boat. You don't never know these things until you get in it and spend the day fishing out of it, you know, and running it, seeing how it handles. And that's the other thing. All Phoenixes run the same way. I, the, to me, a Phoenix is the, when you're driving one, the funnest place to drive one is in a ditch with a lot of curves. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> again, it goes back to that Corvette. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it does. Uh, part of bass fishing is a little bit of boat racing. That's it. And I do like to go fast. And I think it's a mental <laughs> thing. When you smoke past somebody, I, I think it, you know, they're like, he's already going to get there before I do. <laughs> now, you, you've mentioned several times today that you and Luke have been fishing quite a bit together here lately. What, uh, can Luke uh, outfish Dad? No, no, Luke's still in the learning process. <laughs> okay. Dad's hard to get behind. He'll tell you that. He, like, some days he'll say, man, these fish are just scattered out a little too far apart. So Dad picks them off before he gets to them. But we have a good <laughs> Now, are you looking for? You hear a lot of dads talk about that. You know, when the day comes to pass the torch, you looking forward to that day when Luke can outfish you. Oh, uh, he needs a lot of practice. <laughs> Tell him not to get discouraged. I'm in the same place. So the, uh, but you know what? I told him. I remember back that when I fished with my dad. You know, he always seemed like he caught more. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like when I was growing up, I mean, he was a better caster than I was. He was a lot more patience. And that's the other, that's the biggest thing I find with most young anglers is patience. You know, that's uh, I will tell you, my oldest son doesn't have any patience. He's got, we're going to fish about an hour. And if he hadn't had a bite, he's ready to do something different. Luke, on the other hand, does have patience. Like he can go out, he can grind all day for a few bites. And I told him, I said, that's what it takes to be a bass fisherman, Mm -hmm. you know? And every now and then, I, you know, we go someplace where it's really, really good. We have had some really good fishing trips where during the shad spawn this year where I pulled down on some grass points and he caught them every cast for two hours, you know, and that was, you know, that's fun. But then we've had some other trips because we one thing we've done, Luke joined a local club, local bass club. Of course, they're not fishing now, just like everybody else. But right. when they start back, one thing that we've tried to do is just go around and fish all the fisheries that a uh, good friend of mine that's in the club. I you know, like places that they, they typically go during the year and we spent some time fishing and we've had some really good days. And then we've had some, uh, we've had some really slow days. So yesterday we fished on the Mississippi river. We typically just catfish on it, but you know, we, they've been catching, the river's been high and a lot of the fish are pushed up on it, you know, pushed out to the levees. And so we spent the day fishing on it and it was a slower day for me, but a much better day for luke yesterday and i told him that most of the time the days that i don't catch as many he catches more i don't i can't explain that you know but the fishing was harder yesterday it was kind of a grind we ended up catching quite a few fish but it just took all day and we catch one here and catch one there and uh uh he he was pretty much fish to fish with me yesterday what about the hannah and sarah go with you much uh they go they like the boat ride yeah mm-hmm so, and, and we, when we go, and so Sarah likes to go when we noodle, like when we put out, not noodling with your hands, but right. when we put out uh, noodles, and we're fixing to do some of that. We've got such nice weather. I mean, uh, and she likes to go. She's more of that. She's more of like my older son in that uh, she, it needs to be a little more active, a little right. more boat riding, a little less fishing. I hear you. So like the other afternoon, I took Julie hannah and sarah and uh luke didn't go and we just we went to the blind river and just you know rode for a couple hours and 
you know, it was just a nice warm afternoon. They liked that. Mama likes the boat ride and she loves to go on the boat. She, but mama's not much fisherman either. She don't, she don't care for that. Now down there where you're at, how many snakes we all see in a day? You know, yesterday we saw one big cottonmouth and a couple other little water snakes, but not too bad. We, we have so many alligators that we don't really have a lot of snakes. They, they keep like, that population in control. When, when I'm telling you, we have lots of alligators. We, you, it, it's insane. So the other day we go to the blind river and the state stocks them back in the blind river. And you don't see a lot of, it's a big wildlife management area. And you don't see a lot of giant ones there. Uh, but like we, you see one every, at least every, like every 50 yards, there's one laying on a bog or something. And we go at night frogging. You will see one every 10 foot. Like you can't imagine how many alligators we have. Mm. Like, like, and so, and Luke and I had a couple of trips that were cool where they were mating and then big ones were out and man, we see it looked like Jurassic Park, a couple of places <laughs> we've been this year. Now that's vanished. You know, it sounds like, so when they're mating, you'll hear them. It sounds like lines calling. Like it's, it's an, if you've never heard it before, it's an eerie sound. It sounds like a boat motor running in the distance huh, and, yeah. we, and they're out. Them big ones are out just swarming. But soon as that's over with, you would swear we don't have any big alligators because they just vanish. You don't see the big ones like you do. Like you go to places like Santee or even like in South Arkansas where they don't really they're never really they're not hunted or targeted. And you'll see big alligators, you know, during the day here. You don't those big alligators that go back in the swamp when uh, after uh, like after the mating period. And you don't hardly ever see any big ones except for at night. Yeah, we frogging at night. You'll see some when y'all uh, go frogging. Who's running the light and who's running the gig? I typically uh, I just I drive the boat and shine the light and. Uh, my passengers do all the frogging. Yeah. I'll tell you, people that have never had fresh frog legs, man, that is some good stuff. I love barbecuing them. I, I, I mean, it's they, they buy as fine as they get. It so, is. you know, the problem is that one thing now, so this is funny. They're safe right now at our house. So season does not open back up till the 1st of June. So the season's closed now during the, when the frogs are spawning. Like when they're mm -hmm. the period of time, I'm, I, I get the feeling they're done, but, uh, but regardless, the season doesn't open back up till June. And, uh, so the frog is off. I was like, man, that, that'd be the best thing ever right now during quarantine. Cause I'm going to tell you now, fish and deer meat, we have went through some fish and deer meat during this whole quarantine. Cause we don't go, we, we don't, we have a grocery store that delivers. Mm -hmm. And so we've done that more than anything else. We go online and order our groceries and then go pick them up and they just set them in the back of the car, you know? And, uh, but we have went through a lot of wild game during this whole, uh, quarantine. But the only thing best would be, uh, would be some fresh frog legs. And I tell you, I'm going to give you a little tip on these frog legs. Buddy of mine, keep me in on this deal. Now these are for fried frog legs, but you soak those frog legs, you know, in milk the night before you get ready to fry them and put a cap full of liquid crab boil in them. Huh. Yeah. That does sound that good. Is good. Yeah. I'm telling you, they, they, I mean, you can't, you can't, you know, it doesn't matter if you don't do that, they're still good, but it does like every now and then it just adds a little kick to them. I'll try that. It is. Yeah. Answer. I'd rather have a dang frog leg than a chicken wing. You know what I mean? I, oh, mean, I would too. I would too. I, and I'm sitting here thinking about it too. We, uh, earlier in the show, we talked about the restaurants opening back up and how, you know, having a social distance at the restaurant. I know you've got four kids and I've got four myself and, uh, went to a restaurant two or three days ago where they'd opened up and the limit was five per table. 
it causes a little bit of problem for you and I, doesn't it? <laughs> right. It's sick the bus. You got to pick which kid's the odd one out. <laughs> well, shoot, man, we've taken a lot of your time, but we wanted to uh, wrap things up. We do a little thing. Uh, I guess we call it the hot seat, but just some rapid fire off the wall questions for you. Okay. All right. Let's see. You hate losing more than you like winning. Yes. Who's your favorite fishing partner? It'd have to be Luke. Chacos or flip-flops? Chacos. Dip and dye or a color marker? Dip and dye. Favorite camo pattern? Uh, Mossy Oak Bottomland. Bottomland? Okay. Would you rather have no shoes in the summer or no hat? No shoes. Favorite po' boy? Oyster. One bait for an entire tournament season. Uh, hack attack jig. What color hack attack jig? Sexy crawl. Would you rather fish on a sunny or a cloudy day? Cloudy. World record bass or world record deer? World record deer. All right, here's my last one. When's the last time you shaved your beard off? It's been 10 years, maybe. Would you rather fish with uh, Coach O or Les Miles? Coach O, no doubt. Give me some of them cookies. (laughs) (laughs) We were looking up one. This one kind of stumped us here. Would you rather live in a cave or a treehouse? Treehouse. Oh, this was the other one. Would you rather be lost in a bad part of town or a forest in a foreign country? Forest in a foreign country. Even if it was like Thailand or something with tigers. <laughs> Tim's trying to sell it now. <laughs> oh, yeah, you don't. I don't know. I, I think you, I could. It just got better. <laughs> now it sounds like a fun trip. Well, look, man, we really appreciate you taking time out to do this. Uh, wish you nothing but the best of luck, and hopefully we'll get you back on here after you get another world championship or a Red Crest win this year. Okay. It's good talking to y'all. Uh, appreciate right, it. Man. Thanks.